0: 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness.
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
0: Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone, and welcome in to the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jens coming at you from our Mass and Web Studio, tuning in live on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Well, hopefully, you're checking us out after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts, you can find the Mass and All Access podcast. Amy, I love what you've done with the place. Um, <laughs> you've spray uh, painted some of the background right here, and it looks much better on our set. Not as enclosed in a corner, right. more like decorated uh, wall set. So I really yeah, appreciate a, while I was gone.
1: Yeah, a little bit less like a, we're in a concrete corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it looks a little bit more like. Maybe a city wall is what we're going for here. Yeah. So don't destroy us in the comments if it looks bad. I'm not an artist. Um, <laughs> but Paul Mancano, our producer, helped me yesterday. We had spray paint everywhere. But yeah. Um, Bobby, I've been really bored since you've been gone. I had to spray paint. <laughs> and what did you do this last week, Bobby?
0: Uh, I was just hanging out in Costa Rica. Just Costa quick, Rica? Just a quick trip to Costa Rica. Got yeah.
1: married and went to Costa
0: Rica. Got married. Um, I, thank you so much to you, Brandon and Paul, uh, for covering while I was gone. Um, got married on the 12th and then left for our honeymoon on uh, the following Monday. So it was gone all last week in Costa Rica. Wonderful time. Uh, I can't thank enough to all of our friends and family for coming out, having fun, all the well wishes I received um, from people on the blog, on Twitter, text message. Um, I, it really, really means a lot to me. Um, it was a great week, great time. Everything went off without a hitch. And um and now it's back to reality. And now it, it <laughs> went from Costa Rica where it was sunny and 80 degrees every day to back to D.C. where it's been below 40 for the past couple of days but except for just, today.
1: It's Costa Rica's weather like the same. Like, is there summer the same as our summer? I mean, uh, I
0: Yeah, like- it's above the equator. So it's like right below. We were in the northwestern part. So above. it's like right below the Mexican border. Um, it's technically their rainy season, but it would rain for like 15 minutes and then stop. And oh, we only so had like nice. one day of like rainyish weather. We spent every day by the pool or on the beach. So I was, was gonna
1: say, what did, did you do any like excursion? No, yeah, we or were just,
0: no, chill. You, they had you can do that. Um, that was definitely an option. But we were only there for five days, so it's like Right.
1: you want to relax.
0: Yeah, and after all the stress of, I mean, our wedding planning, I think was the easiest that could have been. There was no real major issues. I mean, it's just your normal wedding planning stress, but we didn't want to do anything. We wanted to right. sit by the pool, eat and drink everything, and, <laughs> grossly, and just re- relax. So that worked out really well. Um, you could go off and like climb a mountain yeah. or hike a volcano, go into the jungle. There was like a sloth viewing tour we considered, but like a lot of those, it's a very remote resort. So a lot of those, like you have to drive like two hours away and then back obviously. So we were just like, nah, we didn't do really anything. We just- The beach
1: sounds good to me. Beach was nice,
0: pool was nice. Um,
1: And you had perfect weather on your wedding day. Yep.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. We got lucky that Friday, the 11th, Veterans Day, was a little gloomy, but we traded that for beautiful weather on Saturday, the day of the wedding. Um, I've already seen a couple of pictures come back from that. Um, oh, so I'll, I'll post some of those on Instagram soon to me. We haven't got all of them back yet, but some of them, and it's just like, you can just tell It's just, it was a beautiful day for it. Um, we got super lucky, had everyone had a great time. Um, just really blessed, honestly. I, I know it's cliche to say, but really do feel Now he's A married
1: lucky. man. Look, yep. Check it out. Ring. Check it out. Yep.
0: Sorry. ladies. <laughs> now I get why he's Beyonce taken. does this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely different. I love it. It's definitely different. Um, I feel like it's. The only time I really notice it is now that I'm typing. Okay. And I I feel like it's like you know when um hitters like put those weights on their bats when they're on deck circle right. and then take <laughs> it off. Like That's I feel like, like your like, version. Yeah. Of- like I'm, I feel like I'm slower <laughs> typing on this finger and then if I take it off. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> <"I'm too fast." laughs> so it's yeah no it's definitely different it's great I love it it's like the perfect ring for me um yeah it's great it is weird it's kind of weird seeing it like on and putting it on.
1: Did you have an um, Apple Watch before?
0: Yeah, I've, I've had an Apple Watch for like a year now. Really. <laughs> it took me to get a ring to notice you have, yeah, have an apple. Wash I guess I never look at your hand. <laughs> yeah, now you do. Um, um but yeah. Well congrats. So, thank yeah. Big you.
1: congrats to Bobby. Now he's back, back yeah. to reality.
0: Yeah. And again, thanks for Brendan for pitching hit pinch hitting uh last week and yep. then Paul uh, producing, of course. Uh we re- I really appreciate uh, all that help. So um last week you guys there was a lot happened when I was gone. A lot of deadlines. Um, for you. Yeah, a lot of deadlines. You and Brendan talked about um, the deadline for the 40-man roster, the mm-hmm. Nationals removed some guys and added some prospects to the 40-man roster to protect uh, from the Rule 5 draft. So if you miss any of that podcast, be sure to check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or go back and re-watch on YouTube or Facebook. Um, there was a deadline after you guys did the pod on Wednesday last Friday, the non-tender deadline. Right. And the Nationals had 10 el- arbitration-eligible players um, to uh Tender contracts to or not tender contracts to. Um, we're going to talk about that for the most part of this pod. But, Amy, some quick housekeeping notes. The Hall of Fame ballot came out yesterday. And Jason Wirth, for the first yeah. time, is listed on the Hall of Fame. Mark Zuckerman on Mastonsports.com writing earlier this week that he's the first national to or well, the first player to really represent the Nationals on the Hall of Fame have of course been former Nationals on the ballot but none of them are really thought of as Nationals like Jason Wirth who played his whole second half of the career his career in DC right
1: there's only one former National in the Hall of Fame and there's been a chunk of guys on the ballot like 13 mm-hmm. ever but you don't really consider any of them Nationals he's really the first one and he spent his whole yeah like you mentioned half of his career with the Nationals and just, he might not get in he probably won't get in but but to, to make the ballot on his first year of eligibility is exciting. The first time that we've really gotten to see that uh, from a national in their entire existence. And really, the next national that we'll probably see actually get in is Max Scherzer right. uh, w- whenever his career ends. But still still exciting, uh, nonetheless. A, a exciting second half of Jason Worth's career with the nationals.
0: Right. I mean, he played 15 years. He made an all-star game when he was in Philly. He won a World Series, Series. in Philly. Um, finished with MVP votes a couple of times twice while with the nationals. So very Mm -hmm. worthy career worthy, no pun intended, but Mm -hmm. um, you're right. I I don't think he's going to get in, but it's still nice to be honored and recognized um, that, you know, he had a long successful career and there's nothing to take away from that. Even if you don't make the hall of fame. Um, So a great year for Jason. Worth. last time we saw him here in DC, he was here celebrating Ryan Ryan Zimmerman's retirement. We'll probably see Zimmerman similarly on the ballot probably yep. not get in, but he'll probably be on the ballot when he's first eligible as well.
1: And this is, I mean, we don't get to see this with the nationals because there's such a new right. team, you know? So we're getting to see all of these guys for the first time, really worthy guys that had, you know, bigger, longer, worthy, longer careers uh, with the nationals. So good for Jason Worth, yep. you know, if even if he doesn't get it in to be on the ballot,
0: it is quite an honor. It is an honor. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the hall of fame and the hall mm-hmm. of fame ballot. And it's nice to know that Jason Worth, you know, did it the right way. Right. And, and, and earned his way on that ballot, even if he doesn't ultimately get in. Um, He was the first national to have former player to be inducted into the ring of honor. And then Zimmerman followed mm-hmm. him as the first player to have his number retired, um, so that's pretty cool that those two guys get to celebrate that. And once Zimmerman probably gets on the ballot as well, that'll be cool for them to kind of say, "Hey, look, 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 what we accomplished mostly together um, for those yeah. couple of years." You know, Zim and Worth won, of course, four division titles here in DC, four playoff appearances, um, and and Worth was here celebrating, you know, the 2019 World Series run the, as well. Was a lot of his former teammates were on that championship team, so. Deep ties to the D.C. area right. for Jason Worth. I'm sure Nats fans are very happy for him um, and celebrating the fact that he's being recognized um, as one of the best players of his generation. Probably, again, we we'll probably won't get in, but still one of the top players over the last over his 15 year career.
1: Yeah, and it's fun to see. You know, it was fun to see him back in the 2019 World Series run, and it was really exciting to see him back at when Ryan Zimmerman's number was retired right. and hear him talk about Zim and really all of those guys to be back because you know they had a, a good run there for. Right. A a decade, really.
0: Yeah, and he'll always be thought of as the the first major free agent signing that turned the corner. And when this franchise turned the corner from, you know, non contender to contender um, when he signed in 2011 at at the winter meetings. Um, So that's a major turning point for. The, for the franchise, of course. He brought them into uh, relevancy and, and, of course, winning that period yeah, of time.
1: It had to be so hard for him to watch them. Well, maybe not hard. I'm sure it was exciting because it was all his former yeah. teammates and friends, but to watch them win that World Series. It was in two years
0: removed. Um, yeah, but. Still, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, it, at the end of his career, he wasn't playing over his. Two of his last three seasons, he played 88 games or less. Right. So he was battling some injuries. Um, you know, he was able to play 143 in 2016. I think that was the year Dusty moved him up to the leadoff spot, hit 21 homers. Uh, so a pretty strong campaign right there. But then he couldn't run it back in 2017. But yeah, you're right. It's, got, it's you know, it is, you're happy for them, but you just kind of wish you were also there with them. Um, but he did get his ring in Philly so he does have a ring Um, and um, so uh, again a successful career by Jason Worth of course he'll always be remembered for this moment in DC when the the walk off home run um, (laughs) in game four of the 2012 NLDS against the Cardinals Um, magical moment right there that really cemented his legacy in DC right there that's a that's a right. big time free agent signing moment for him. Oh, Bryce for Harper sure. had a couple of those this past October for Philly. Um, great moment for Jason Worth right there. So happy for him. I'm sure the Nats fans are happy for him as well. Um, and uh, that's some good news to talk about um, in, in terms of Nationals past. Um, all right. Well, let's go on to the, uh, the non-tenders. Um, the, the, like I said earlier, the deadline to tender contracts to uh, arbitration eligible players was Friday. The Nationals had 10 players eligible. They had already agreed to terms earlier in that week on Ildemar Vargas coming mm. back for his deal for next season. He'll be competing probably uh, for the third base job with Carter Keboom and now Jake Alou, who was added to the 40 man roster to be protected from the rule five draft. Um, and so that. Left nine guys. The Nationals then tendered seven contracts. Guys like Hunter Harvey, Tanner, uh, Tanner Rainey, Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., a lot of bullpen arms. Victor Arano might have been the one kind of surprise, but he comes back, uh, predicted to earn about one million dollars. The two big guys we're going to talk about, the non tenders. <laughs> one I think was not a surprise at all. I think we, you and I, kind of saw it coming. We talked a lot about it this offseason already. One was a little bit more of a surprise, but digging deep. Maybe not that shocking. Eric Fetty and Luke Voigt non-tendered by the Nationals, ending Eric Fetty's long career with the Nationals and Luke Voigt's Mm -hmm. short time in DC. Let's start with Fetty Amy. Uh, you know, you and I talked about this a couple of times already. It just came down to his production didn't match up to what he was billed to be as a first-round pick.
1: Yeah, exactly. A first-round pick out of UNLV in 2014. The Nationals were really high on Eric Fetty, and they've given him a lot of chances. He kind of you know, started as a bullpen arm, got moved to the rotation, has kind of been a part of the rotation for the better part of the last three seasons. Um, and there we talked about him you know, first going to move rotation when it was, who's going to get that fifth starter role? Is it going to be Joe Ross, him, both? Um, that was was a conversation for years and years and years. Uh, He finally got moved into the rotation and he just didn't find any success. His best ERA was in 2020 in the shortened season at 429. Uh, He finished this season with a 581 ERA, a 1.6 whip. Um, And it's, I think it really just comes down to the fact that he, well, he never developed a changeup. He kind of survived for most of his career with the Nationals with two pitches, which we know might work in college. We know might work in the minors, but it's certainly not going to work up at this level, especially when you're facing lineups like the Braves, you Mm -hmm. know, how many times a year. Uh, So that's really kind of what it came down to. He developed his cutter a little bit, uh, but didn't find as much success as he probably hoped there. But the frustrating part, like you said, is that he's another first round pick, a first round pick that's a pitcher um, that just hasn't turned out for the Nationals. And I think, I mean, that's frustrating, but I think it looks better that they're not clinging on to the to him because of the pure fact that he's a first-round pick. That kind of surprised me because I thought they might make a move where it's like, he's the first-round first, first round pick. You know, we don't want to be – you don't want this to be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be more embarrassing if they, they, you know, held on to him. I'm happy they didn't do that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think that is sh- – you don't want to do that. Teams in all sports tend to do that just because of their draft status. Mm-hmm. You kind of hold on, hope that they can kind of turn it around. And you know what I mentioned before, like at this point, we pretty much know what Eric Fetty is. Um, it went 6-13 and 13 this year, 581 ERA, 1630 WHIP, 27 starts while earning $2.15 million. Um, he was projected to get bumped up to about $3.6 million per MLB trade rumors. With an ERA that high, WHIP, and you're not winning many games, it's hard to justify that. Even I'm. You look at that. That's a small amount for a starting pitcher, but like the production just doesn't match. And um, I think you're right. The Nationals. It was a kind of a tough choice because of where they drafted him, and of course Mike Rizzo drafted him. But you know, at this point, we understand what he is. You talk about the pitches he wasn't able to develop. Um, he would have. Early success in the season. Oh, yeah. But both past these year, these past two years, and you would think that, like, okay, he's finally turning a corner, and then the second half would always bring him right down. Over the fa- past two seasons, he had a first half, first half ERA combined of 4.78, which if you expand that over the course of two seasons that might be enough to earn you a contract for next year. Right. I mean, just especially with the team rebuilding, you need a veteran presence. You need someone who can just eat innings. Sure. But uh, over the last two seasons combined, his second half ERA was 6.85, which elevates his overall ERA a lot. So yeah, the total combined uh, final product was not good enough for the Nationals to hold on to. And again, he's 29 years old. The Nationals are in a rebuilding phase. There's just not room for him. He's not a part of the long-term plan. Even if they were, there's only a second year of arbitration eligibility. Even if they were going to hold him on for two more years, you're probably not going to see Eric Fetty beyond 2024 Um, because he's just at that point going to be 31 right? and you're looking at young guys like Mackenzie Gore, Kate Cavalli, Josiah Gray overtaking this rotation and hopefully some other young pitching prospects. Um, So it it just wasn't going to work out right now in this situation for both what Fetty was producing and the current state of the Nationals.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're kind of having two different types of conversations when we're talking about non-tendering Luke Voigt and Mm -hmm. Eric Fetty because, you know, Luke Voigt was never a part of the Nationals' futures or plan. He was only the, the only major leaguer that came over in that Juan Soto trade. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the last guy in. It wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be in that trade. Right. And that conversation's more about the money. We're going to talk about, you know, how much he was projected to make. I think the issue there was more he was going to get paid too much. Opposite with Eric Fetty, where the dollar amount is not you know, crazy for a starting right. pitcher, especially a guy that you drafted in the first round in 2014. Uh, that's not the issue. It's just that there's no production there, that yeah. you really can't put him out there every five days. Um, and the fact that he was supposed to be a part of the Nationals' future. I mean, yeah. when you take a, a guy in the first round, especially when you gamble on a pitcher, you have to be pretty sure he's going to be here in your rotation for a while. That wasn't the case for Eric Fetty, and it's kind of a trend here. He's just another one that we're going to add to the list of starting pitchers that the Nationals took in the first round that had both injury issues and just never panned
0: out. Yeah. I mean, it's also, if we're looking, we have, you and I have had the conversation multiple times, but if you're just looking at overall the overall draft, first round picks, on Mike Rizzo's tenure, Combined this non-tendering of Eric Fetty with the fact that they just released Seth Romero last week, too. You're losing two first-round picks. In less than a week essentially yeah um obviously rizzo hit with steven strasburg bryce harper anthony rendon um you can even make the argument that he hit with lucas giolito uh mm-hmm. because he panned out with with the white Sox. i mean lucas giolito would probably be the best pitcher on this rotation if he were still here right oh now, for sure but, yeah um but then the following year in 2014 was when eric Fetty was taken um 18th overall after that, Dane Dunning also a part of that trade uh, to the White Sox. Carter Keyboom, jury still out. Uh, production in a small sample size. You know, I don't think he's got had a fair shake just yet. But just missed the entire season due to Tommy John. Is no guarantee to be the Europe, European Day third baseman next year. So he has, still has to earn his way. Seth Romero. A risk at the time, and obviously did not pan out. They just cut him after his second DWI uh, in less than a year uh, over the weekend. Mason Dunenberg left unprotected from the Rule 5 draft, coming off Tommy John two years ago. Um, I don't see a team taking a chance on him, but you don't know what he's going to be because he's still recovering and re up his arm. And then you're getting to now the, the first-round picks of guys who are still Too young, too close to call. Jackson Rutledge, we saw him have a really strong campaign this year, especially at the end of the season, even though it came at low A in Fredericksburg. (laughs) And then, of course, Kay Cavalli, Brady House, Elijah Green. Jury's still out on all of those guys. Kay Cavalli looks like the cream of the crop. Brady House looks like he could be a player, but he spent missed most most of the season <laughs> with a back injury. And then Elijah Green, too young to tell, he didn't make it out of the Florida uh, Complex League this past season, and he played in, well, I think it was like 12 games or something like that. So a lot of misses on that first-round pick after you get past the Strasburg-Harper-Rendones. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that are going to be no longer here are guys that are still question marks, and that's just... And that's a major reason why the Nationals are where they are right now.
1: Right, exactly. The only credit I can give you know, in this conversation to the Nationals is that they chose to non-tender Eric Fetty. <laughs> like, and that doesn't mean he's not coming back. It's still right. possible right. Uh, that he could come back. But, you know, the Nationals have a tendency. I mean, even Seth Romero, all these behavior issues, his second DWI, the whole, you know, there's behavior issues the whole time. Right. they've given they gave him a lot of chances um where I think other organizations wouldn't wouldn't have. Um you know, same thing with a lot of these other pitchers. I mean, look, we're still seeing Patrick Corbin's production He's, well, they don't have a choice but to put him out there every five days. We know the Steven Strasburg contract is going. um but you know, at least they didn't. Just continue down this path, you know. Um, so, so credit to them, I think, for that. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it is a different conversation when we are talking about like Seth Romero and Eric Fetty, because, like you mentioned, like it was the right call to finally just cut ties with Eric Fetty. Like instead of hold, I, you, you kind of have to feel like the Nationals did hold on to Seth Romero as long as they possibly could, because they were like, we took a chance on this guy. Maybe
1: there's light at the. We end of the have
0: time. to. We have to give it a first chance round because he's a first round pick. <laughs> um, you know, projected to have all the talent in the world, just some off-field troubles they thought they could fix. Obviously, they could not. Um, and that's just, you almost feel like they held on to him a little too long. Right. Um, and just didn't, you know, just say, accept the fate that, like, all right, well, that was a mess. Um, but, yeah, it's just a long line of guys that haven't been out. Now, you hope. I wouldn't, I guess the Nationals weren't officially rebuilding because Jackson Rutledge was selected in 2019. 2020, the season hadn't happened yet because of the pandemic. Uh, So Kate Cavalli still. But then like Brady House and Elijah Green are now the first two picks in this rebuild, Mm -hmm. essentially. Those guys have to pan out. Now it's also easier because Elijah Green was a top five pick. Right. And Anthony Rendon was a top six pick. Obviously Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg went number one overall. So those are easier to nail right like those are like obviously probably close to sure thing so you can probably say with Elijah Green Brady House maybe not so much he was outside the top 10 and was supposed to be in the top 10 and fell that far Mm -hmm. back which you wonder why but these are the two guys the Nationals along with the Cavallis and brothers that the Nationals are banking on to be their next superstars because of their draft status and you just hope they don't hold on they hope they pan out but hopefully you also don't, if they don't, you just hold on to them just for the sake of holding on to them.
1: Yeah, it's a lot easier to draft in the top five picks, even the top 10 picks. Right. Um, and they've hit with those guys for the most part, especially early on um, with the Rendones, you know. Um, but it's harder to draft late in the first round. But then maybe you don't take pitchers for five straight years or, yeah. you know, Um That you're taking a big gamble. I mean, it's hit or miss. I mean, sometimes you can hit with those guys, but if you're taking a pitcher at the, you know, back into the first round, they have to be, you know, they can't have injury history or behavior and issues. injury issues combined, yeah. um, you're taking a big gamble with those guys, and we're seeing the the consequences here um, with, you know, letting Eric Fetty go. But at least they did. Um, you know, you can't – this past season, Eric Fetty wasn't the make or break point. You know, right. Right, you look right. at this entire rotation, um, probably the bo- worst in baseball. <laughs> um, it was. Was the worst in baseball. So, you know, y- you can't be mad about Eric Fetty, you know, putting him out there every five days this past season. But now moving forward, you have to make, make moves. Eric Fetty, cancer
0: ground. Yeah. In a perfect world, you're assuming that like Cole Henry is healthy and coming back to pitch. You're assuming that Jackson Rutledge takes a major step Jackson forward.
1: Jackson Rutledge should be, so he should be at, you know, in the right. major league you level know, at this point. Like,
0: back in 2019, right. you should be you know, a Keita college Vali. guy. Right. right. And he was a college guy. You're right. So you're right. But my, my point was like, you, you don't need Eric Fetty blocking somebody. Right. Um, now, we already assumed that the Nationals were going to add to this rotation this offseason. Now there's definitely a spot open. You're going to, uh, hopefully, assuming everyone's healthy, assume that the Nationals enter this e- next year with Mackenzie Gore, Kay Cavalli, Josiah Gray, and obviously Patrick Corbin as a rotation. You need a fifth starter. How do the Nationals fill that spot now that Eric Fetty's essentially out of the equation? Now, again, like you mentioned, the caveat to this conversation is Fetty and Voit can still technically come back to the Nationals. They'll just sign for lesser money. I would expect both of them to find employment elsewhere, mm-hmm. especially Voit. We'll get to him in a little bit. I would expect him to go try for to sure. latch onto a contender. Um, but in-house options. Of course, Steven Strasburg is still around, but that's one of the biggest question marks this franchise has. Will he ever pitch again to a ele- to a a further extent, Cole Henry as well. Uh, Paulo Espino, Corey Abbott and Johanna Don, and now Jake Irvin are all on the 40 man as well. Uh, and then of course you have Jackson Tatro and Evan Lee back in the minors that they um, outrighted uh, at the beginning of last week. So those are all your in-house options to cover mm-hmm. that rotation. We already said the nationals probably need to go out and add to this starting pitching uh, this off season. I'm not expecting them to go top tier, right? They're not going to be in line for a Jacob Grama Justin Verlander. Second tier guys, maybe. They're, those are guys, though, probably looking for multiple years, a little bit more money. So many questions revolve around only Mike Rizzo knows the blueprint for this offseason, right? So how do the Nationals approach this? So you go for um, an older vet who for a couple Multiple multi-year deal to have that veteran presence, maybe overtake Patrick Corbin once he's contracts up or you're able to move him? Or do you go with a guy looking for like a bounce back year, a one-year deal who does have some track record of success in the major leagues?
1: Right. Non-tendering these guys is really the first look into this offseason the clue that we've gotten right. about what this organization is going to do this offseason, not only because you have the whole rebuilding question, I mean that changes things, but also the ownership question. We're right. not really sure, you know, what might is allowed to do, what the budget is, you know, so on and so forth. So this is the first time we've seen that. I think it's kind of telling that they're not willing to spend $8.2 million on Luke Voigt. Um, you know, I think that's a little bit telling, but if they're going to spend money anywhere, if I had to guess with the Nationals organization, <laughs> it's probably going to be on a pitcher. Yeah. Um, they might be a little bit more willing to spend money on a starter than they would uh, just a flat-out DH, which Luke Voigt is, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but I think we're still going to be looking at the bottom tier, guys yeah. that are looking to have a bounce-back year or had a good year last year. You know, teams aren't willing to re-sign them, you know, so so they become free agents. I don't think we're even looking in the middle tier as far as starting pitchers.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that because maybe that's the one area...
1: Willing Rizzo to has
0: yeah, the green light to go sign. Like, look, you need to add someone to this, right? Because it was the worst. But I think you're right. I think you're most likely going to get guys who are looking for one-year deals. Your Michael Watkas, your Jordan Lyles, your maybe even Dylan Bundy's, Dylan Mike Clavengers. Um, Anibal Sanchez, maybe even. Like, you know, if we talked about this a couple weeks ago. If we get to a point in spring training where Anibal's still available and you need a starting pitcher and you know Anibal still wants to pitch... I mean, you have a track record with him, mind as well. I mean, it's not going to hurt, I don't think. And and if it does, you just you know cut cut part ways. But um, yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting question. I, we'll get to Luke Voit in a minute, but yeah, I agree that I think that the starting rotation is where they're going to spend the, quote unquote the most money. It's not going to be a lot because they already have a lot of money tied to Strasburg and Corbin, but I think the starting pitching is where they're going to add add the most because I think they can piece together corner outfield first base dh in some other way of fashion mm-hmm. without spending without breaking the bank they're not going to break the bank but you know what i mean yeah. um and i think starting it might be worth it like we need a guy that eats innings and has doesn't give up too many runs and just some kind of stable in this rotation cuz right now they don't have it right they don't. I mean, for a long time, they always had at least three guys that were counted on. They don't have a single one right now. Nope. So they need at least one, I think.
1: Yeah. The, the Steven Strasburg and the Patrick Corbin contract ties their hands a lot. lot. I mean, and we're going to keep talking about that this off season, uh, all of next season. And that's really unfortunate, but I don't think, I mean, this is, this could be a really good turning point about how the nationals, you know, not only draft, but you know what they do in free agency. And it, I, this year in particular, it does not make sense to go out and sign a pitcher for a multi-year deal. It just mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. You need a guy this season. I mean, if you're going to non tender, Eric Fetty, uh, maybe not bring back any Sanchez. You need a guy who's going to come in and just be able to pitch the whole year, have half decent outings, you know, yeah. you're not going to get a great starter, but don't go out and sign, you know, a middle tier pitcher per multi-year deal when you don't have to, it just doesn't make sense.
0: I I also think like, you know, it's gotta be a two way street, right? Like the player has to want to come here. That's part of it too. Not the most desirable location right now, destination for a free agent because guys want to win. The Nationals aren't going to be contenders next year. Um, Everyone knows that. So, if it's gonna be a multi year deal, you're probably gonna to have to overpay him to come here to play here for multiple years. And I think I agree with you. I think that's just not the business the national should be in. Of this offseason or even next.
1: Right. It worked when they were competitive. It worked, you know, with Max Scherzer. I mean, nobody's going to look back at those moves and say, you know, that was bad. It works. But in a rebuild, you just can't do it, especially since their philosophy has been drafting all these pitchers. You have some young pitchers in the system that you hope over the next two seasons when the Nationals are competitive again and whoever, you know, whatever starting pitcher you get this year is out the picture out the door. um, You know, you hope that they can fill in those spots in the rotation. So it just doesn't make sense sense you know to spend a whole lot of money there especially if you're not willing to spend you know whatever eight million dollars or whatever luke voigt would have gotten in arbitration
0: we'll also hope that those young pitchers are healthy and we talked about that a lot and I, I i would go for a guy that has proven to to last the whole season has a you know he's not going to have like an era under two but he can eat innings and give you solid outings and that's like what we always talk, We always talk about at least give your team a chance to win. And there's a handful of those guys I just mentioned can do that, uh, proven that they can be, have some longevity and have, you know, some durability. I think that's what the Nationals need the most right now, because yes, Josiah Gray proved that he was durable this year, but he fell off. I mean, we talked about the most innings he's ever had. Yes. But Patrick Corbin, he's durable too, but the product is so bad. So it's like, you need someone that kind of middle of the pack to be, The guy you can depend on every five days because the other four days might be a kind of toss-ups until McKenzie, Cade, and Josiah prove themselves.
1: Right, and that was one of the main issues with Eric Fetty is not only did he battle injuries and miss some time throughout the season, but even in his outings, you know, he got into trouble really early on. And, you know, they had to go to the bullpen early on. Mm -hmm. So you need some guy that's going to be kind of the opposite. You're not going to get a sure thing. Perfection uh, is far away, but at least somebody that can be more durable than Eric Fetty was.
0: Right. Exactly. So let's move on to Luca Voigt. Um, Now, like I said, this is, was a little bit more of a surprise. I, I think people will say, well, why'd you trade for the guy and then non tender him? And you mentioned, you referenced, you know, he wasn't their first option. Eric Hosmer was and Hosmer vetoed that trade, which was he earned the right to do. And then eventually got sent to Boston and the Nationals needed to replace a, a veteran first baseman at the major league level because they're giving up Josh Bell as well. Um, and so that became Luke Voigt who wasn't able to veto that trade. I think you and I, I, I won't speak, I assume that he would be back next year. Uh, just because I kind of was in that camp where it was like, why give up so much to bring this guy in if you're not and the other part is now you have another starting position to fill. Right. And you had a guy in house that yes, Luke Voigt wasn't great when he was here. Um, eight point was it 8.2, 8.3 million projected by MLB trade rumors. That's from what he gave you was not is way too much. I mean maybe early on Luke Voigt like his 2020 campaign. Um, but I, that's another starting position that you now have to fill. And I wonder if Getting bit by the Nelson Cruz contract kind of crept into Mike Rizzo's mind, being like, "Well, I'm not gonna overpay another DH to have." a subpar season.
1: And I kind of like that. The same thing with, I said, they learned with Eric Fetty. I feel like they learned from the Nelson Cruz contract. You know, they are learning from their mistakes where you can't pay a DH that much and just hope that they can go back to the production that they had in 2020. I mean, yeah, he led major league baseball in home runs in 2020, but Luke Voigt is kind of, it's been downhill ever since. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was one of the main sparks in this offense, but that's because the lineup was so bad at some points, and you know he's turning thirty-two this off season. I don't hate non-tendering Luke Voigt. Right. I mean, I don't think you can pay if he paid, could play first base, it would be a completely different story. Well, he
0: can. Yeah, but we saw that Joey Meneses was better.
1: Right. I mean, he his Luke Voigt's defense has always been a big yeah. question. He's known for his bat, and he is a perfect fit somewhere where they can afford, you know, a bat like this to play an everyday DH. He's the perfect fit for some team. I just don't think he's a good fit for the Nationals moving forward, especially if you're going to have to pay him that much. Yeah. You can get a bat that's cheaper, hopefully, you know, to be your everyday DH or, you know, they'll just rotate guys.
0: And yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's just like we're – we talked so much about like this offseason is – so, vastly different than any other mm-hmm. offseason because one, there's no lockout, so free agency is full go. Um, and two, this is now like the first full regular offseason of this rebuild. So, I agree, like 8.2 to a DH that hit collectively 22 home runs and only nine in 53 games with the nationals, which I know it's different circumstances, but it was essentially the same amount of games he p- hit, he played in the shortened 2020 season when he hit 22 home runs right so i I know he's a starter playing at yankee stadium but numbers are numbers so but it just creates another open roster spot as a starter like if this was a bench player if luke White was like your backup first baseman backup you know your first pinch hitter off the bench perfectly fine i get not playing 8.2 to a, a bench player but he was gonna be the starting DH slash play first base when Joey Manessis needed a break, you know, going back and forth right there. You're right. The defense wasn't up to snuff, but like he could still do it. Um, So it's just a team that we expect not to spend a lot, not to add too much. And there's no in-house option. I mean, the one guy that I can see maybe being a real a realistic option to take his place as a starting DH was Yadiel Hernandez. And they just, Outrighted him to AAA. Yeah. So now you're, you know, banking on uh, Riley Adams being at everyday DH. We just saw that his bad had a struggle this year. He spent a lot of time in AAA, mostly to catch every day, but also because his offense wasn't really playing up to the major league standards. I, You know, it's just to me, like the way that the national, again, we don't have the blueprint in front of us, but I would assume they're trying to spend, as little money as possible. And by doing this, you know, they must have some kind of plan where they see someone out there that will cost, not as much, and can get similar production to be their DH.
1: Right, I, I think that's what it comes down to, because now they have to fill left field, most likely, um, and they have to have an everyday DH, and this is the only second year that the Nationals had to worry about that. Right. I mean, you know, and the first go-around, they failed. <laughs> like, Nelson Cruz, that was just, yeah, not a good move, and that's the first time that they had to fill. It's a new position, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that they don't, I think you. that's a really good point, is that they got burned on that the first time, and I think that this go around it just doesn't make sense to spend that much money so i think there has to be somebody out there that they can get for cheaper um and you know fill that position and then left field is is still a big question mark too
0: yeah so um looking up some free agents that are similar to luke voigt and his 0.4 war according to fan graphs Mm -hmm. there are some dhs in first baseman the designated hitters jake lamb he's 32 years old had a minus 2, uh, war per fan graphs. Jay Lowry, 39 years old, a little a way older, um, not minus 0. 0.3. Alex Dickerson, 33, minus 0. 0.3. Some first basemen, Jesus Aguilar, he's uh, 33 years old, a one war. Carlos Santana, older, 37, but a war above zero. Miguel Sano, 30, zero war. Dominic Smith from the, you know, from the Mets, mm-hmm. 28, but a minus 1.1 1. 1 war. So those are the kind of guys that you're probably looking that would costs a little less than luke voigt and get close to around production and maybe you get lucky and they have like a bounce back season
1: right exactly and there, yeah there's still a possibility they get a first baseman you know right and, and then move joey manessis, manessis to, to left field yeah you have can move joey manessis to left field and he can DH some of the time right. for you so you know it's not joey manessis isn't a, a set thing at first base it's just that's also when we thought that luke voigt would probably you know
0: I guess that- it does give them some flexibility. Mm-hmm. You're not just looking for a specific DH. You could look for an outfielder mm-hmm. and then have Joey stay at first base um, and then fill DH some other way. But if you decide to go first base route, move to, then you're banking on Joey Manessas being able to hold his own in left field because we saw Lane Thomas excel in right and, of course, Victor Robles in center. So that would be the only really position that Joey – could probably fill other than first base, where he's pretty good at. Right. I mean, not just offensively. Offensive, like I like him at first base. He's pretty yeah. good defensively at first base. Um, the other contracts that the Nationals did tender: Lane Thomas, I just mentioned, um, and their projected salaries per MLB trade rumors: two point one million, Victor Robles two point five million, Kyle Finnegan two million, Carl Edwards Jr. one point six million, Hunter Harvey one million, Tanner Rainey one point five million. Of course, coming off Tommy mm-hmm. John surgery, and then Victor Orano one and a half million as well um no actually sorry that's 1 million uh, for victor arano so all those you know you look at guys like especially those bullpen arms finnegan edwards harvey Rainey when he's healthy Orano, all making projected to make 2 million or less for you like it bringing it back for your sh- biggest strength last season i think that's the nationals that's probably the biggest upside to all this for the nationals that they're going to be committing what less than 10 million dollars collectively to their bullpen right And Sean Doolittle coming back on a minor league deal. A lot of incentives. He could probably, I think he can earn up to 2 million, but still you're like, you're. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. They're going to have one of the lowest payrolls for the first time in a long time Mm -hmm. in baseball, but that's a lot of production right there from Finnegan Edwards, Harvey turned around and then, you know, Arano, played a a role.
1: Yeah. If you can get all those guys back and it's one, you know, $2 million a piece, Mm. that's what you kind of have to do, especially in a year like this, especially when it was the greatest strength on your whole roster. Um, And I think we both agree you know, the only position I think that they will spend, you know, the most money or the, you know, the largest dollar amount is going to be if they go out and get a a starting pitching. But this is the first time we've seen, you know, kind of gotten a little look into their mind and their moves um, this off season. We kind of have a little bit of more idea of what they're, you know, willing to spend money on.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot more coming up. Um, Obviously this week can be a little quiet with Thanksgiving coming up next week. They'll be prepping for the winter meetings, Um, rule five draft. rule five draft is a big one. We'll have a preview of that. I think we should preview that next week uh, before, um, San Diego gets underway because the nationals have the number one overall pick in that draft. And this is something that the nationals have not used in the past, but when you have the first pick, you have to use that. Mm -hmm. And, um, they'll have an open roster spot to pick someone that they have to keep that player on the 40 man, uh, on the active roster, excuse me, for the entirety of next season. Um, do you go pitcher? Do you fill the outfield spot that way? Probably won't find a slugging DH over there, but you know who knows what you can get there um, and, and take it. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to see a lot of minor league deals. You're going to see a lot of... They, they just signed a couple of more minor leaguers mm-hmm. to, to, with invites to spring training. That's what the Nationals are going to do over the next couple of months. Um, and we probably won't see actually major league contracts dished out until closer to spring training
1: right exactly it's you know not exciting not the big names that you want to see but it's something that you have to do in a year like this and it'll be curious to see if they find some success they get a uh, you know somebody that can really be you know an everyday player in the rule five draft mm-hmm. you know it's definitely a possibility especially if you have the first pick so they have to hit on that maybe they take two players in the rule five draft um It'll be exciting to see a lot of little moves, but you know, something to look forward to this all off season.
0: And this is like, this has ramifications more further down the line, but also the draft lottery yep. is in two weeks. That's going to be. <laughs> Talking to Mark Zuckerman the other day. I mean, he was like the nationals have the, basically the same odds of getting the first pick as they do the seventh pick. <laughs> I mean, they have a hot... They it
1: had to be this year.
0: I know. The first year of the draft lottery. The math just is... It's, 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 it's odd. It's math odd. It just
1: isn't math. If they
0: don't end up with a top three pick, that is just going to be brutal.
1: Yeah, that's bad.
0: Yeah. And the fact that like a team like the Orioles, who were so close to the playoffs, could end up with another first number one overall pick is just like... It's exciting. I think... People wanted it, but mm-hmm. like, not, like, it makes me nervous, like yeah. almost, because like, it's a franchise changing move that's out of your hands. Oh, it's 100%, 100% yeah. luck. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you're talking about a franchise altering player in the top three, or, you know, you're taking a shot at someone <laughs> in the like, Five right. to seven range again.
1: Yeah, that that changes things.
0: You did say everyone in the top ten is pretty much a sure thing, yeah. but the closer you are to the top is the oh, surest well, yeah, of things.
1: For sure. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. So winter meetings is gonna be it's gonna be an exciting week.
0: Yep. Yep. Riz will be talking a bunch. Davy will speak. Um, of course, the draft lottery. Um the rule five draft, any roster moves, of course, they'll move and we'll have full coverage of that on Mass and nationals, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to tune in. Um, it's one of our busiest weeks of the year. Yeah. Um, and so we'll have full coverage from San Diego on all our social media accounts and on YouTube and on Facebook. So be sure to subscribe, follow. We'll have another podcast next week, uh, previewing all of that stuff coming up in the rule five draft. Um, the mass and all access podcast, of course, is available on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, SoundCloud, uh, watch us live every Wednesday at one o'clock on YouTube and Facebook. We really appreciate all, all of your comments, subscriptions, um, and, and tuning in and, and joining the pod. Really. You're becoming a part yeah. of the show at Amy Jennings news for Amy on Twitter. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks to Paul Mancano for producing the show behind the scenes. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Enjoy the long weekend. Be safe. Um, and we will see you next week.